0: But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at VortexOptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from VortexOptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's
0: next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Got the ginger bow hunter here in studio sitting next to me. Oh, oh, I'm
0: the ginger bow hunter now. Yeah, look... not the ginger gunslinger? Yeah,
2: I don't know, actually. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe I should maybe I should keep your title for a little bit longer, at least till we get to September. Yeah,
0: maybe. We'll see. But no, do, doing well, doing well. Also, we've got our buddy uh, Shane Simpson on the podcast. And Shane, you're going to kind of come in, in a little bit in this episode. We're going to get you on for some Q&A. Uh, and then also, we're going to talk about your new app that y'all are coming out with called Tracker, uh, which people are going to want to stay around for and listen to because it's going to be really fascinating. And definitely, I'm going to have it on my phone when it's released for iPhone here. In a few weeks, but um Shane, appreciate you joining us on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on. Please.
0: So, real quick, we're gonna uh, break down uh, Michael Ball's episode, who had just came out this week. Uh, so Michael's an interesting guy. He was on episode, I think it was 480, the first time we had him on with his cousin Sonny McCumsey from Arkansas. Just a really successful guy, he hunts a lot more of those river bottom areas. And we got to dive in a lot more with Michael specifically on his thoughts and thought process. And one thing that was kind of interesting with him was how he goes about really scouting for a lot of his uh, a lot of his areas and finding all this buck sign actually in season. You know, some of the piece of public that he hunts on, he can't run trail cameras on, so it's a lot more of the woodsmanship aspect and actually going out there, cutting sign, tracks, you know, um, especially scrapes and rubs, but really finding tracks and even actually putting eyes on deer in some of that area. And one thing that was really interesting he brought up, Andrew, that I thought was kind of fascinating was that idea that thick cover and thick bedding cover is kind of a limiting factor in his part of the state where he hunts these big river bombs. And a lot of times with those bucks and all these deer are bedded at areas where you have like a big oak that dies or a big hickory that dies, it adds a a huge hole in in the canopy that allows a lot of this thick understory to kind of grow up in an area that's pretty much wide open hardwoods. And those little islands, those little pockets are areas that he's finding these bucks really spending a lot of time at. They even mentioned early in September, he was scouting in an area, walked up and bumped, I think he was nine deer out of one of these little spots. that was only 40 yards wide where this old uh, big tree had died. And I think two were bucks and one was like 150 plus inch buck that was with mm-hmm. him. So that's kind of interesting because, again, typically with a lot of guys we talk to, it seems like that thick cover is much more readily available. So it's kind of harder to pinpoint those areas that those bucks are really using versus the areas he's in You know, there's kind of sporadic throughout the whole area. And then also another big factor he was talking about is finding those blowdowns. And like that 180-inch deer he was trying to kill, it was coming from a little peninsula that had a bunch of these blowdowns on it. And there was like checkering of blowdowns coming to his stand location where it's set up uh, based off how he thought hunting pressure was going to come in there and push those deer. So yeah, it it was really interesting. Also
2: the thing about him actually hunting in those blowdowns Mm -hmm. at at the tip of the tree where he's like... Getting on the ground. Yeah, he's getting on the ground and he's basically getting in that fallen treetop. And he's having the deer funnel around. And what did you think about uh, his thoughts on the deer actually preferring to walk around the canopy side rather than the root ball side?
0: So I thought that was interesting. Um, That's kind of weird. And uh, Shane, I actually might pitch this to you. So Michael Ball in this episode had talked about when he's hunting, he'll like to hunt on the ground sometimes in these open landscapes, whether he's sometimes with a bow, sometimes with a muzzleloader. And it's wide open hardwoods, big river bottom. And when you have a bunch of these trees that fall down, it seems like the deer, specifically the bucks, would like to travel around the canopy side of the tree when they're going around it instead of the root ball side. And his thought process was potentially on that big root ball. And you're talking about trees that, you know, three guys can't get their arms around has such a blind spot as those when those deer come around that on the canopy side, they can kind of see through some of that, that fallen canopy. And they feel a little bit more comfortable coming around the canopy side. But um, I thought that was kind of interesting. Shane, I don't know if you've ever dealt with anything like that, especially in some of those marshes or any places that you've hunted.
1: No, uh, that'd be a question for Garrett. I know he shot one when he was right behind the root ball of a tree. Um, That kind of makes sense so that it kind of creates a blind, uh, blind spot for him i was thinking when you started talking about it, i was thinking more along the lines of you know all those overhanging limbs from that that end of the tree are they using it to make scrapes or licking limbs or, or are they just walking by it
0: that's a good um, point i can't
1: say that i i have. I can't say that i've had much experience with um now i have had a, a couple occasions where i've hunted woods where there's fallen trees but there was no you know canopy left on the tree all the limbs were broken and and i remember one in particular that. I was using it as a kind of a barrier to make the deer come out in front of me. And what it did is, and there was only a couple of feet between the trunk of the tree and the ground where it was up off the ground. And the dang old buck came and went under the tree and walked right by me at five yards. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, I, I couldn't even draw on him. He ended up uh, catching my wind as soon as he got right past me a little bit. But um, yeah, that's about the only experience I have with him.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty fascinating. I mean, just like the way he talked about it, and also, um, just the success he's had in those kind of areas. Like, you know, he likes to tuck in on that, on that, that the uh, the canopy side, kind of getting those branches. And he mentioned that like he's got mm-hmm. one spot, and he never went into a ton of detail on it. But then again, I, we didn't press him so much on it. Like he had this one spot where he's killed a, quite a few bucks in this one canopy, and he said it's kind of broken down over the years now, where he's actually having to go. Pick up other deadfall branches and, and almost kind of brush in this little spot that he bow hunts off of, off the ground, and also with a muzzle litter. um And for whatever reason, in that open landscape of those hardwoods, the deer always seem to kind of go towards it and then kind of go around it. It's almost like kind of a, you know, I think you hear guys, and Shane, maybe you can talk about this as well, like in marshes, you get that couple of yeah, standing trees out there. It's it's almost like a visual. i ready
1: to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's
0: almost like a visual that the deer will go to as like a point of reference, and then they'll bounce off from there. And it seems like he's seen the exact same thing in these open hardwood bottoms where you just have like one big tree down, and all the deer want to kind of go towards it, and then kind of go around, and then they kind of shoot off in a different direction.
1: Yeah, when you started talking about that, I, that's the first thing that popped in my head. It's a landmark, open hardwoods. It's something they're used to seeing to travel by. You know, they don't have Onyx on their phone like we do. Uh, same thing in the marsh you know they see a tree in the distance and it's um you know i've I've been successful picking those trees even without with limited experience in a certain spot you know there's i can see trails and satellite images and there's a spot that has a tree i go sit in it for an observational sit and hopefully something comes by and usually something walks right by me
2: yeah that's so. actually <laughs> something that that's that's something that i've noticed in south alabama as well not in a marsh but in a like a longleaf pine savanna where you have, you know, a low tree density, like it, it, it's still forested, but there's only a tree every like 30, 40, 50 yards and they keep it burned. So it's like a tall grass prairie kind of thing. And, uh, I've sat out over those and there'll be like a big dead tree right in the middle of it where some old trees fallen and, and died like years ago. And almost every single deer that I would see walk out in that stuff would walk right around the end of that dead tree And I'm like, why are they doing that? Because they were never... I wondered the same thing that you brought up a minute ago, Shane. Like, are they scraping on it? Are they eating on the the brows on it or, or anything like that? And they were never stopping. And then the best thing I could figure is like, they're out there and they're in grass that's basically this tall, you know, on them. They can't hardly see out of it, but they can look up and, you know, see that dead top and it's something different than all the other pines that are out there. So maybe it really is just like a a reference point for them where they're like, oh, okay, there's there's my tree. I'm going to head to that and kind of get my bearings.
1: Yeah, very possibly could.
0: Also, another thing that Michael brought up that I thought was fascinating and Shane, um, I'm sure waterfowl hunting is a pretty big deal up where you're at, both hunting in Minnesota and Wisconsin and some other states you hunt in. Um, you know, waterfowl hunting in the Southeast, in certain states is a lot higher, uh, it's a lot higher pressure and more commonly used in other places, uh, specifically like Arkansas. And he was talking about, Michael was talking about in the episode that, you know, that first week or so of um, when, uh, duck, oh, I can't talk, when uh, duck hunting opens, the deer are extremely skittish. There's so many more boats out there. They hear people talking, you know, duck hunters aren't necessarily quiet. Um, and they get kind of skittish away from the water, but after about a week or so of being conditioned that like, Hey, these people in these boats are making all this noise. They're not, harming me they're not shooting me or anything like that they kind of get a little bit tighter to the water they kind of get a little more comfortable with them and it's like there's a completely different shift that first week of uh, duck season where again that first week he's like trying to go he's like I don't want to be anywhere near the water I want to be three four hundred yards away from the water in some of these areas and then as the deer get a little more custom even these big these bigger bucks cuz they're used to it you know they're 5 6 years old they're kind of used to this kind of transition they kind of transition a little bit back closer to the water and he's hunting close to the water and he's like you know second these duck hunters start firing up you know you know they're shooting at ducks and stuff having a hot morning you could potentially get that buck and kind of start let them ease around those sloughs and everything and get shot opportunities which I thought was pretty interesting but it's how big of a difference it takes for like you know the deer kind of move away from that water away from that duck pressure then they kind of shift back towards it after you get a little more accustomed into it which i thought was pretty interesting
1: mm-hmm. yeah i have limited experience with that uh, i have hunted near um areas where there's a lot of duck hunting activity waterfowl hunting and i have i have had uh does come by me and they're they're relaxed they're calm and it's apparent that they're used to the uh you know the interaction or the interference or whatever the disturbance of the waterfowl hunters and and they become accustomed to it. but as far as getting in you know like you know having a buck come by I haven't I haven't encountered that yet not and I, and I try to avoid the waterfowl hunters it's just uh, it's a mental thing for me. I don't like all the shooting and talking so
0: yeah i I say the same thing until I've met um uh, a couple of buddies I used to uh go to school with at big duck hunters. And uh, they were hunting this piece of public in, Al- in not Alabama in Arkansas and had mentioned, I was talking to them, I was asking them about because I didn't know anybody that deer hunted this specific piece of public. And they are like, yeah, we don't know anybody that deer hunts it either. But every time, you know, we'd be out there during duck season throwing decoys at 4 o'clock in the morning, you know, hour and a half before legal light. And next thing you know, and they're talking and stuff. They're not trying to be quiet. And they hear sloshing through the water on the edge of the slough. They scan their, their lights over there. There's a huge buck walking right down the edge of the slough kind of towards them um not you know caring the yeah. world about those guys and i asked him i was like yeah, you i've heard thought-
1: those stories plenty of times
0: well i was like i was asking him like have you ever got the 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 eagerness to go hunt that he's like oh no he's like i've got i got easier spots to hunt than down there and that kind of stuff so he's like I, I, we've never even wanted to dealt with it but he's like they're definitely there i'm like all right that's all i need to know <laughs>
1: yeah yeah they're they're in there i hear duck hunters i mean they tell me that often that that oh yeah i was putting out decoys or i was doing this and you know saw a really big buck but it's one one occurrence after they've hunted like 20 or 30 times so what are the odds of me going in there and seeing it but it tells me that those deer are still hanging out in those areas you, you just got to pinpoint them and figure out where they're at
0: yeah for mm-hmm. sure
2: yeah that's a that's a really good point that's a really good point um yeah you, you want to kick it over to the q a
0: yeah I, I really do uh so shane you're gonna be our first kind of guest on a q a uh, second, which we've been doing this now for, I guess, almost two months now. Yeah. Maybe? Something around, around. Two uh, months. So for listeners that are listening to the podcast or watching the podcast, of course, this is on YouTube as well. Uh, you can go over to our website, the Southern And there's a contact Q and a form there where you can submit Q and a's that we try to answer on these outro episodes, these breakdown episodes. And, also, typically it's in the show notes as well, the podcast. So if you're yep. listening, you're not watching, if you're listening, you can scroll down to the bottom of the notes and you can actually click the link down there and actually submit it. And we get a bunch of these written in. And it's really awesome to kind of get the feedback from listeners on what are you guys actually interested in us kind of discussing on some of these episodes. And now, since we got Shane on here, we've got someone else that we can kind of pitch some of these questions to. So, uh, yeah. Andrew, I'll let you kind of kick it over to our, our first Q&A for the podcast.
2: Okay. All right first up we got Jason Wilson he wrote in and said I'm trying to build my kill kit for this season and was wondering what you guys pack for packing a deer out obviously a backpack I was thinking some 550 paracord a small tarp like a 6x8 game bags and a good knife I've never packed one out before so I was just curious on what you guys take with you also tell Jacob to quit talking about Arkansas deer and bear we're trying to keep it a secret awesome podcast guys (laughs) yeah uh awesome so shane um you, like jacob said you're you're kind of our first guest it's has been been in on A Q&A before so i'm gonna pitch this to you first uh what do you carry as like a kill kit uh into the woods like maybe if you're ever packing a deer
1: out um well i'll say this when i'm when i'm hunting actively hunting in and out i don't carry anything um to to process a deer or gut a deer or pack a deer out um I used to carry stuff with me, but then I was listening to Dan Infault one time. He's like, how many times you go to the woods and, you know, you, you're not killing deer. It's only that one occasion after, you know, so many. I'm like, yeah, I'm just wasting time carrying all this equipment. I'd rather uh, I leave everything behind in the vehicle. If I do kill a deer, um, sometimes I carry a knife with me so I can field dress it and maybe, quarter, maybe take a quarter or two with me back to the truck. But I'll go back to the truck and I have a big uh, meat pack that I'll take back in there and I'll quarter up the deer and, and uh, try to get as much meat and as le- least amount of bones as possible. And I usually can just take a a, a knife with me and that's about all I need. I don't need um, a bone saw or anything like that. If you can cut the joints and in, in the tendons you know, right there with the joints meat, you can usually uh, break a deer down with just a pocket knife.
2: Yeah. Yeah, mine's pretty similar to you. Um, I I have like a bigger, nicer pack that I'll use for packing out meat, but I don't necessarily always carry it anymore, Uh, especially with the the new setup that I got. But so I'll have my big frame pack that let's just say like I'm going in deep and I'm like bringing everything like on our mountain. Yeah, because it's
0: difference. It's a difference between if you're say a mile from the truck and it's maybe not rugged terrain versus if you're hunting an area that like some areas we had in last year where we're two and a half miles in or two plus mm-hmm. miles in and it's, you know, it takes you an hour and a half to get in there because of the ruggedness. Yeah. You know, it, it's a little bit different situation, but yeah. What's your take in? So
2: I, I bring pretty much, pretty much what Jason was talking about. I have a little like Kafaro makes these little uh pockets that, that you can like little stuff pockets. And so I'll get one of those and I'll have in that one pocket, that's my whole kill kit. And I'll have, uh, five game bags. I'll have a, a good knife, like a good sturdy fixed blade knife that I can pop joints and stuff with. I don't carry a saw or anything like that, kind of like you, Shane. Like I don't really, I never need it for anything. Uh, just like a good, and I like to carry a knife with enough backbone where if I want to like take ribs, I can kind of pop those ribs with it. So I'll carry like a like a fixed blade that's a little bit thick in the back. It's got a little, little butt to it, you know? Got some heft. Yeah, I got a little heft. Um, so I'll carry that. And I don't carry a small tarp, but sometimes I wish I did because it just kind of makes things easier, like laying it out and, and being able to put stuff like on a clean surface and uh, not get leaves all over it. But, I mean, that's pretty much it. Sometimes I don't even carry paracord, actually, uh, just whatever happens to be in that pack at the time. Um, sometimes, instead of a tarp, what I have done in the past is I've carried contractor bags. I'll roll up one mm. contractor bag in there. And I'll actually split it so I have like a – it's almost like a tarp, but it's not a tarp, and it's cheap and disposable. And I can put a bunch of stuff in it if I need to. Like it's kind of multifunctional. Um, And that's pretty much it for me. Uh, Maybe zip ties too. Whatever I stuff in there, you know, like what, what usually happens is at the beginning of the season, I'll pack the kill kit. And then the first time I use it, it gets completely discombobulated, and I don't know what all's in there. And then I just <laughs> kind of roll with it from that point. But the first time, it's going to be dialed. I'm going to have a knife. I'm going to have a contractor bag. I'm going to have a zip ties, all kinds of stuff. But, but yeah, just something lightweight and low profile that I can kind of slip in the back of my pack and just not know that it's there. Because my, my whole thing is if I know that the kill kit is there, I, I like it, I'm carrying too much. Like, you really don't need that much. Uh, but Jacob, what about you? I'm on the I'm on,
0: I'm on the other extreme. So oh, here, yeah. here we go. So we got three different perspectives here. Um, typically, I'm carrying two knives. Uh, I'll carry a Havilon knife with at least one replacement blade, just because I like having that super crazy sharp blade. And then I carry a heavier fixed blade, like what Andrew's saying. It's still extremely sharp, uh, but I'll use the bigger blade for bigger pieces of meat and stuff like that. Or if I'm cutting joints, because you don't want to do it with the Havilon, it does not work very good. Some guys can do it. It's pretty sketchy. Um, and then, typically, I'm carrying uh, my uh, – what are they? The, uh, the game bags you bought me. Caribou, oh, caribou, caribou game bags. Caribou game bags. Yep. And what I do is I come with a carrying sack, but I don't do that. I, I literally – I'll get, like, a one-gallon Ziploc bag. I put the, I put the bag – the four game bags or five game bags down there. And they compress real tight. I put one contractor bag in there. And the contractor bag is not necessarily how Andrew's using it. I use the contractor bag if you kill something – Game bags are not watertight. They're breathable, so blood comes through them. And I don't like having a ton of blood all over my, my backpack and stuff like that just because, like, you can clean it pretty easily with some hydro peroxide and, you know, water and everything. It, it comes off, but it stinks pretty bad. So I'll – if I kill something, I'll quarter it out or debone it, put in the game bags, and put those bags inside of a big 50-gallon uh, uh, contractor bag, plastic bag and then I, that's what I put on the actual backpack itself so I don't have any of that bleed over because I'm not worried about the meat getting hot or anything like that because typically within an hour when we get back to the truck, uh, once it's in that bag and then when I get back to the truck, I'll take it out of that contractor bag because you don't want it sitting there because it'll steam your meat and your meat will turn bad, especially early in the season. Um, so the second I get back to the truck, I'll take it out and I typically always have a cooler in my truck, maybe not with ice, but I'll put the meat in there and then go grab ice when I can. Uh, but Two knives. I don't carry a bone saw. Again, there's no application for it in my opinion. Kind of what Shane and, and Andrew's both said. Um, and then I'm trying to think. I don't carry paracord. Don't need it. Uh, sometimes I have carried a small six foot tarp. The thing weighs maybe four ounces, and you can it's folded up. You can buy it from like Harbor Freight for like literally like four dollars or Walmart and it's so small it's already folded up, you can stick it down in that one gallon Ziploc bag. So in that Ziploc bag I can have that little tarp in there, a contractor bag, five game bags, and even my extra knife in there and it's and you can compress all the air out of it and it doesn't take up a lot of room at all. Um, so and for me it's not enough weight to really tell me not to bring it because that one time when I've decided to go a little bit further than I want to and go back to the truck, I might not want to add another hour and a half to my, you know, round trip. Um, I'll have everything with me. So um, that's pretty much it. Don't really carry paracord. I haven't had any for paracord. I haven't had a need for zip ties or anything else like that. And of course, pack frame. So, uh, typically I will hunt with my pack frame, uh, hunt with that Kofaru. Um, it's definitely overkill for probably 95% of people. You can get away with a lot smaller bag for sure. And even like what Shane's doing, if you're not hunting super far from the road, like if you're within, you know, if you're not, if you're hunting fairly flat ground, you're not crossing a whole bunch of water, uh, or if it's rolling hills and you can be back to the truck in 30 minutes, you don't necessarily have to have all this stuff with you. But, like, this mostly comes in handy when we're going to areas that it takes us a lot longer than 30 minutes to get to a spot. Uh, If I was on private land, I wouldn't do any of this. I'd have a pocket knife with me and then have everything else in my truck, and then I'd just walk back to the truck, grab my stuff, and go back in. Well, I was going to say, like, Shane, uh, and I'll pitch it over to you, too. It's like, you know, some guys, if you're bringing it out on a cart, like, if you can cart the deer out, then you don't have to debone or anything. You're just going to gut the deer and bring it out. So, again, that kind of adds a little bit less hassle as well, especially from flat land. But, Shane, what's your take?
1: I was going to add that, yeah, I don't normally pack a deer out, you know, cut it up unless I'm a certain distance, you know, and it depends on the terrain also that distance where that um, cutoff is. But like last year, the deer I shot was about 400, 500 yards away from the access road. And so, because I hunt out of a saddle, I just turn around, I hook my tether around the, the antlers of the buck and I walk backwards and I just walked backwards through the woods, and and it's easier for me to walk back backwards, leaning backwards, than it is to turn forward and lean forward, pull a deer out for some reason. And uh, I was on, I was proving it to a couple. Well, I wasn't proving it, but I, I had my phone out and I was videoing as I was walking backwards. I said, "Oh, look how easy this is!" You know, here's a you know 150, 170 pound buck, and and it was seemed pretty effortless. Now, if I get you no know, 600 yards in, 700 yards in. I may decide to quarter it up, but
0: yeah, absolutely. So no, met, like, that's a great example, though. I mean, again, that's and to me, that's a very applicable example for a lot of us. I mean, if you're hunting, like you like, if you're hunting within a quarter mile of the truck, you really don't have to have a game uh, a kill kit with you, in my opinion. Like, unless you just want to take it, but like, if you're ninety ninety percent of your hunts are within. Four hundred yards, five hundred yards. of truck. You probably don't need it unless you're having to cross a bunch of water where it's just a pain in the butt to go back and forth between the spots. Uh, but yeah, Shane, I kind of agree with you on that aspect. So, um, but yeah, it, it's it's an interesting conversation, and definitely it, it's something that you know, depending on where you're hunting, how rugged it is, how far you're going in, that's what to me develops what you're going to put in your kill kit. But like that little tarp that came in clutch. Like when I shot a bear in Arkansas a couple years ago. Sorry for this dude. Uh, who, whatever his name is. Uh, <laughs> Jason. Get, Jason, anyway. But when I shot a bear in Arkansas, I wasn't terribly far from the truck. I was probably four or 500 yards from the truck, but it was directly off the side of a mountain. Um, and I knew when I went down there, if I was to kill something, I wanted to have like a tarp because I was going to do a whole, I was going to do a full cape on the, on the bear. I was going to do a big rug with it. And I had that tarp with me, and it was super nice because I could lay that tarp out underneath the bear. And when I took that cape to the taxidermist for him to mount it, they were like, did you take did you clean this at the house or something? I'm like, no, I clean in the field. They're like it's the cleanest cape they've ever seen from somebody in the field. And that was directly because I was able to have the tarp there. No dirt, no leaves, nothing got on that cape as I was able to do a full body cape on the actual bear. So Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, good stuff.
2: Cool. All right. Uh so next up we got a return Q and A guy, uh, Mr. Mason Brooke. He's from Georgia. And for a little bit of background on this on this fella, he had he he's got a, a hunting lease that he's in in Georgia, a hunting club. and uh, it's it's like I think he said 1300 acres or so, but most of it is cut over. Most of it's clear cut. There's some pines on the property, not very many hardwoods. There are some streamside management zone, SMZs down in the bottoms where there's some hardwoods around the creek, but overall not very many hardwoods at all. Uh, about a month ago he wrote in and said that they had sprayed the property and killed a lot of that undergrowth where the clear cuts were. And he was wondering what to do in that situation. Now, a lot of the covers died back. Uh, Should he focus more on food plots or feeding? Because a lot of guys in the club are going to be baiting this year. Well, he wrote back in and he said, uh, turns out they're burning the property. I reckon they sprayed it to kill everything off to make it easier to burn. Uh, Burning it in two weeks, mid-August, so about right now. uh, Just three weeks before opening day, which is September 8th. Uh, What are your recommendations for this property. So again, large cutover, very large cutover property. Most of it's cut over few hardwoods and they're burning it. So I'm going to, I'm actually going to jump in first. Cause he, I, he messaged me on Instagram and we've been talking back and forth a little bit on what the property looks like. And he sent me some aerial photos and that's how I kind of have a little bit better background on what the area looks like. Not very much topography here. It's kind of like gentle rolling Hills, I guess. And, uh, I've actually hunted a place that sets up very, very, very similar to what his property looks like. And it's basically where they were reestablishing some longleaf pines. All the pines were like, I don't know, five feet tall or so, real spaced out, but they burned it. And it was just basically a gigantic cutover. And what what I found out, the more that I walked around in that stuff and, and kind of got off the road is there's fire shadows within that, which is where the fire, when it's burning through there, there's some areas that it just doesn't burn as well, or it doesn't burn at all. Like, it just burns around a spot, and if you go out there a day or two after they burn it, and you go walking through there, you'll find little islands Mm -hmm. that didn't burn, like, at all. And so that's going to create diversity out there in that stuff. And what we found, you hunted this area with Mm me, was the deer were keying in on that, especially the bucks. Like, if you had, like, a slight little ridge that kind of went around there'd be a fire shadow like on the side of it and there'd be like a band of bigger saplings and thick cover right there and they were running the edge of that and there'd be scrapes alongside it, there'd be tracks, there'd be trails, all kinds of stuff. Um, and especially where those fire shadows met another edge. So if you looked at the edges of the cut uh, where they burned everything and let's say where it met some mature pines, if there's a fire shadow right there, you'd have like a thicker buffer where you got this kind of mosaic of the the big clear cut it's all burned, and then you kind of start coming up to the edge, and basically the cover just gets taller and taller and thicker and thicker as you get to that edge where it didn't burn as well, and then, bam, you got the hard edge and the mature pines. And we hunted spots like that with a lot of luck. I killed several deer in spots like that. I had an encounter with a really nice buck in a spot like that. So, my thing is, like, I'd go look at those fire shadows and that some of that habitat diversity out in the stuff and look for the more subtle things. Uh, but, Jacob, what, what's your take?
0: Um, well, so... Mine, first off, I've I got a little bit different. Well, I, I agree with you about the fire shadows because I know exactly the area you're talking about. It was kind of interesting how some things didn't burn, but the problem is they didn't spray that. That's true. But if they sprayed this, this ought to be even if they do it like a pretty low key fire. It's gonna be hot. It's gonna mm-hmm. be really hot because you have a ton of fuel, mm-hmm. and I would be worried that there might not be many fire shadows. I don't know. So my thought process is like definitely look what Andrew's talking about like trying to find you know these areas that didn't burn these like little thicker spots throughout the uh, the clear cuts but also you gotta realize like there is gonna be a lack of cover out there because there's no pines planted or anything it's literally gonna be fairly barren but the thing is it's still early enough enough in the fall when they're burning this there's still gonna be a part of a growing season like what part of Georgia's is Like kind of south central. Central. So there's a very good chance come late September, it's going to look like a green carpet. It's going to look like a giant food pot, This whole thing is mm-hmm. because typically when they burn, especially down here in Alabama, but they burn with a springtime burn, summertime burn, you're going to have stuff regenerate extremely quickly after that fire has been put out within a week or two. And it's going to be green shoots everywhere. That's nothing but browse. Turkeys are going to love it too, but the deer are going to feed heavily in that. So it's going to make your whole property, all these clear cuts into like giant food pots. The problem is, is you're not going to have a whole bunch of great security cover. But I think taking that in consideration and taking consideration of where your doe groups are at, it could set up really good for the rut, specifically on if you have like these, you know, it looks like his property's pretty large. Say you have 200 acres that's nearly like a giant food pot because everything's kind of growing back up. And come, come October, you know, you get your first maybe frost sometime late October, early November, even late November. This stuff could be, you know, 10 to 16, 18 inches tall by the time like the green shoots are growing up. So you're going to have a ton of food out there. And the doe should key in on that throughout the fall, especially if your rut's kind of in that November time period. As long as you don't put a ton of pressure on those does, those bucks are going to be in that area. Even though the cover might not be great, they're going to be using those low spots throughout those clear cuts. Whether it's a, a thicker little drawl, like a little low spot going through these clear cuts, um, or if they're going to work the edge of it. Kind of like in the fire shadows Andrew's talking about, or even around those hardwood drainages. Typically, that's where you're going to find that movement. But again, if the food's there and the does are going to be there, you're going to have bucks investigating. Mm-hmm. So it can set up extremely well. Might not be the be- best for bow hunting, other than trying to find some feed trees in your hardwood SMZs, the little hardwood drainages running through the property. But for gun hunting, it ought to be tremendous. Like to be honest, that gets me super excited when you told when you wrote in about this is going to be burned because it's going to be nothing but like a giant food plot. This whole property is. So all your neighbors around you can be really jealous because you're going to draw a lot of their deer. And even if they're running corn and stuff, they're going to draw a lot of their deer in. Uh, when this stuff starts re sprouting late August into September. So yep. Shane, I know it's been a while since you lived in the Southeast, but what's your take on that fire and everything and, and kind of what, you know, your thought process would be, uh, if you ever ran into a situation like that.
1: So I do have experience with qu- hunting clear cuts and before you guys gave your answer, the, the first thing that I visualized was a, just a desolate area. You know, it's black and there's no greenery. And both of them set up well for the way I would hunt a clear cut, whether it's been burned or it's full of vegetation. If it's full of vegetation and greenery, they're going to be feeding, they're going to be bedding in it. Um, And then they're going to come out along the edges. If there's nothing out there, no cover anything, they may cross it, you know, just to get from one side to the other. But they're going to basically avoid it and they're going to use the edges to get around it. So hunting the edges is where I would key in on. And I would key in a, a prime example an area where I hunted was a, a huge clear cut. There was a creek that came within 50 yards of one edge, and I got right in that, that section, and I could shoot to the edge of the clear cut into the creek, and it was like a little funnel there. So that's kind of the areas I would be looking for. If there's topography to it uh, where there's some low spots uh, where the water's going to drain, that's where the deer are going to be. That's where it's going to green up first probably. And that's where the deer are going to come because they, they have cover where they're not seen all the way across the clear cut. They're in a low spot. Just like when you ride down the road and there's, there's a big open field, the deer and turkeys are always in the low spot where the cars can't see them. It seems like. And, um, so those kind of, that's kind of the thoughts I have just visualizing what he, without being there, that's kind of the way I picture it. And that's, that's the way I would hunt it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a really good point. I'll
2: say too, uh, like Mason I would pay special attention to those small little creeks running through cuz again he sent me pictures of the property and he does have these like very skinny little wooded draws running through the property even if they did spray it, that's probably going to end up being your fire shadow mm-hmm. because it's going to stay more wet down there.
0: And you have the sunlight coming in from both sides. Oh, it's going to be thick. As so crap. it's going to be thick, real, like really thick. It should be really thick along the edge of those hardwood drainages. Yeah, that should be a sun, great Because it's going to have a ton of sunlight coming in right there. Yeah,
2: the, I would pay, pay special attention to those low spots.
0: And also, Mason, look at a larger perspective, not just on your property, but where do those creeks go into other properties? And imagine those creeks being travel corridors for deer. They want to go a mile plus traveling during the rut look at where those where those creeks are going to other properties and kind of pay attention to that too. Like where is that thicker cover around your property and how would it lead onto your property and kind of really scouting. Really, that'd be an area to run a, you know, a few trail cameras and try to figure that out as well. What that deer movement looks like coming on and off your property in some of those low spots down those little creek ranges, which again should be fairly thick now since you know they're not crazy wide looking at the aerial imagery. Sunlight's going to be able to hit both sides of those tree lines. So you're just going to have a penetration of sunlight underneath the canopy. So underneath that canopy should get thicker over the next you know even this season and even seasons to come which should be money for you for having a thick travel corridor that you can really key in on Mm -hmm.
2: yeah absolutely uh shane let's get into uh the tracker app so uh i want to get a little bit of background just real quick on yourself like a lot of people are probably familiar with you but give a little background on yourself from a deer tracking perspective and kind of what you've been doing with cali chronicles and everything up to this point and uh and then
1: we'll get into the app yeah so um i got into tracking i got well i got cali back in 2016 started training her for tracking we tracked the first year in 2017 um in wisconsin it wasn't legal at the time in minnesota um we started you know getting some people together and united blood trackers involved uh, unitedbloodtrackers.org or if you're not familiar with them got them involved and with some state legislators um were, were able to get it passed legalized here in Minnesota. And so now I primarily track deer in Minnesota. I started recording those uh, tracks on cameras that (laughs) work best for tracking. It's hard to film a track, Uh, you know, limbs and vines and everything, snatching the cameras off. But anyway, created a YouTube series uh, that seems to be fairly uh, popular among uh, hunters. And then, um, you know, as a tracker, we run into this issue every year where trying to manage all the requests that are coming in and try to make it efficient and you know you're 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 getting texts from hunters that the details are all aren't all there, location whatever and then you're trying to communicate with other trackers and just trying to dispatch these tracks in an efficient manner i was like man there's got to be a better way and, and so then we started brainstorming about creating an app to handle this situation right. I, I hope that covers everything Tooth Game
2: Calls is your home for turkey calls this spring. Go check them out. They got all the classic turkey calls. You know, they got the pot calls and the box calls and the mouth calls, but they also got a couple really interesting calls. One of them is called the, the Success Call, and you just need to go look it up. It's very, it's like a box call that you can work with one hand. It's really, really cool. Sounds incredible. They also got the Spur Master, which is another very unique call that you can get some really unique, clean tones out of. They're going to help you out this turkey season. Use the promo code SOP24 to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls. That's SOP24. Use it at checkout. It helps the podcast.
0: True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke and it's to improve your shotgun performance. absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the precision hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far?
2: Yeah, I've always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, thirty and fifty, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from thirty to fifty. And the fifty yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is. Unbelievable. Like everybody's jaws were dropping. Like when I, we were out there with Mike and Sam, we were all super impressed. I mean, it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke.
0: And Andrew, you're shooting the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. It's a great option. Same chokes I have in my shotgun. So, guys, if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you could head over to True Lock That's T R U. L-O-C-K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code Southern at checkout at true and save 10% on your order. Again, give true lock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun and shoot with a more deadly pattern with true lock. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, we, we got to dive in even more on this cause, um, last year was my first year tracking with pepper. And I think we took, I think we took 10 tracks last year and which isn't a lot compared to a lot of these guys i mean i know guys in alabama that will run 120 tracks a year because of how long the season is and they might be doing multiple a night and it's almost pretty much a full-time gig for some of these guys um but it's it's unreal the amount of contacts and like you said the lack of information you may get from a hunter when you're trying to coordinate you know first off where are you going to meet up at you're trying to call and they may not have great sales signal the whole nine yards and it it there was a couple that was a cluster just trying to coordinate getting with the guy in order to go out and do some of those tracks. So um, w- with the development of the app, give us an idea from two perspectives. I, I want to talk about from a hunter's perspective, you know, the issue of the last couple of years as a mm-hmm. hunter, and I- I've used a few different uh, trackers in the past for different deer i shot and I wanted guys yeah, to come out and recover. And we've had really good success recovering those deer when I got, you know, some of these trackers out, but is the average guy, if you're not a part of one of these, like it seems like on Facebook, a lot of these States now have like their own United blood trackers, Facebook group for that state with all the trackers information on there, but still, and you know, they may have 10,000 members and 15,000 members, 20,000 members, but there's still so many hunters that don't even realize that dog tracking dogs. And there are trackers out there that will come track your deer for you. Uh, so many people I meet on a weekly, not weekly basis, but a yearly basis have no, has no idea. There's people out there that will do that service. Um, so with the Mm. app, Talk to me a little bit. What is this app gonna, the tracker app? What what is it gonna consist of when it comes to a user from the hunter perspective? What is like the the app gonna be used for, and how they go about using it, like actually in the field when they need somebody?
1: So there's from the, initially this there's the app is just gonna help the hunters connect with trackers, but there's gonna be additional features that have come later that they're gonna want to use the app for when they, when they don't need a tracker. But let's just concentrate on the tracker issue um like you said most of them don't know that there's tracking dogs or it's a thing you know you know ten thousand people on a pay, facebook page but then there's a million you know gun hunters or, or deer hunters out there um and they may know or they may not know but any at any rate um i see all the questions all the time um people looking for a dog they don't even know where to begin or i get messages Man, I wish I'd known this was legal. You know, I shot a deer last year and and didn't even think about it. You know, because I didn't know. But at any rate, um, when you get this app, you download it as a hunter, and you need a tracker. Um, you hit the little button that says "Submit Tracking requests. and and it's based off your GPS. Um, so it'll automatically drop a pin or show you on the map where you're located, just like if you're using Onyx or or whatever hunting app you're using and you can click on that and adjust the pin. Like maybe you drove home from your hunting location, you're not there anymore. So you can move it to that location to, to indicate where you were hunting, or you can just move the pin to where you want to meet the tracker. And then, uh, and so then you fill out the questionnaire, like what did you shoot? You know, antler deer, antlerless deer, et cetera. Um, and it's going to ask you what kind of weapon you shot it with. Um, how was the deer standing? And there's other animals too, but I will just concentrate on deer. How was the deer standing? What was the reaction after the shot? You know, how far did you track it? How long did you wait? Just the basic questions you're going to get from a tracker anyway, and then you hit submit. And um, this, this app was, we built it with offline capabilities. So even if you don't have cell service, you can create that tracking request and you can hit submit and it'll try to submit it as soon as you have like one bar service, just like sending a text out. It'll keep trying, it'll just send in bits of information as it gets it, as it can, until the entire request goes out. And you may be driving home at this point, just trying to, you know, getting one bar here or there. Uh, On the tracker side, or do you have questions about the yeah. hunter side right now? Well,
0: I was gonna say I wanna stay on the hunter side and then we're gonna get to the tracker side because okay. you know, we're gonna have a lot more listeners that and viewers that are on the hunter side of things compared to the tracker side of stuff. But because the thing is, kind of going back to my personal experience, like when it comes to calling trackers, if you weren't part of one of these Facebook groups, you might have been trying to message a buddy, like, hey, do you know who has a tracking dog? And that's how I got some of my guys that I tracked for last year is like buddies would recommend them like, hey, let Jacob come out with his dog and go track it. But if you're not in one of these Facebook groups, you have to go find that information. And there was constantly last year, I think there's at least 10 different guys had messaged me when I couldn't go on a track and like, hey, do you know anybody else? And I'd have to send a screenshot. Of, like, in Alabama, the United Blood Tracking, uh, United Blood Trackers um, Facebook group for Alabama. Yeah, they have, you know, by county what trackers are active in each county. So I would ask them what track, what county they're in, screenshot who's active in that area, forward it to them, like, just start calling people. Start calling people. Some of the guys I knew and would recommend, other, I'm like, I don't know any of these people, but just call them and figure out if you can get somebody in there, which is a huge hassle because another thing is if you're calling somebody, it's eight o'clock at night after you try to track this deer for 150 yards and you lost blood. It's hard to get a hold of some people. Some of these guys are like diehard trackers, they'll answer any phone call, but some, they may screen your call, wait for a voicemail or text message, and then try to call you back. And it's such a hassle, even from a hunter's perspective, trying to stay in contact with a tracker, because you don't know, are they on any other tracks right now? You don't know, you know, do they have family obligations, or are they even active about coming out there? And that's something that would always be kind of frustrating for me in the past, which all the guys I've had track for me in the past, I had already had relationships with them. So it wasn't that big of a deal. They were pretty open with me about what's going on. But this, the way you kind of described it for me, talk to me about the push notification that goes out to trackers in the area. And maybe from that perspective, from a hunter, you know, when they submit that, how are people, how are trackers getting contacted about, you know, this track opportunity is opened up and how do they go about you know, which tracker goes about, you know, filling out or, you know, clicking on it saying that, you know, they're down to go track. Can you talk from that perspective? What happens after you hit the push notification?
1: Yeah. So let me, let me back up real quick first about the, what you just described trying to find a tracker. You're not going to go on Facebook and say, Hey, I'm hunting at so-and-so WMA or I'm hunting in this town. Do you know where anyone know where a tracker's nearby? That's the first advantage of this app because it's confidential. You don't have to give away your location. You, um, you know, the only people that are going to see your location, if you indicate your location on the in the submission, the tracking request, is the, the trackers in your area. And they don't care about where you're hunting. Um, and like I said, you can put that pin where, where your house is or where you want to meet. You don't have to put it at your hunting location. Yep. Um, the other thing is the embarrassment some people have posting that they need a tracking dog on social media or the ridicule they get from some guys that are like, oh, you need a sh- tracking dog, you need to learn to shoot better. But beyond that, so you, you hit your uh, tracking request submission. You don't have to call them or text them at 11 o'clock at night and disturb them and wake them up and worry about that. It goes out to every tracker in that area that covers whatever animal you selected. So like on the tracker side, I've selected that I track deer. I don't do bear or whatever. So I'm only going to get notifications for deer in my area. So say there's 10 trackers in your area. Uh, that do deer, they're going to all get push notifications to their phone. Hey, a new track available. It's going to tell them when the deer was shot. You know all the details they need, and they're going to have your phone number also. Now they can, uh, they can either call you back or they can just offer to take your track, and then you're going to get a push notification saying, hey, there's one or two or three trackers available to take your track that senior request and they've indicated they're available, and you can. At that point as a hunter, you can look at the three trackers at their profile, their ratings and reviews, just like on Amazon. You know, they may be a five-star tracker. Uh, their certification, UBT2 tested, their dog is tested, and, um, you know, they got a lot of good reviews. Um, the fee that a tracker puts in there, that's optional. They they may want to discuss that with the hunter, person, uh, you know, in person. And so we leave it optional for them. Um, so if they do fill it out, you will see their fee as well. And so you can pick between those three trackers, you know, all three may be uh, equally qualified and then you just pick one. Whereas, you know, the old fashioned way is you're going down a list and you're calling and you're calling and you're calling and hoping you get one where, mm-hmm. whereas with this way you've called all of them at once. And even if one's not immediately available to answer your phone call, the old fashioned way, they may see your request and say, Hey, I can't take this tonight, but I can go ahead and plan for tomorrow morning because I don't have any tracks and they may contact you. So it's a very efficient way to get it out to all the trackers and the trackers can see, you know, you know where you're located and and, and it makes it easier for us as well.
0: Let me ask you on this uh, aspect. What is the distance that, that radius mileage around, you know, based off where you put the track and the, the meet location at? um, that it'll push notifications out. I mean, is this something that's like 60 miles? Is it 10 miles? Is it a hundred miles? Kind of like, do do y'all have something like that structured to kind of see who will, who will be able to hop on?
1: Yeah. So on the tracker side, you can set your, your radius of your service radius. And, um, like I have mine set to the max right now for testing the app. Um, and it's, it's launching now. So if you're listening to this now, it's already gone live. But um, you can set it up to a 300-mile radius, which is pretty extreme. So that's basically 600-mile diameter circle around you. Anybody inside that circle that submits a request, I'm going to get a notification. Now, most people, um, you know, you'll see they'll put, I'll track within an hour of my house or 70 miles of my house, and they may set their zone smaller, and if you're you're 80 miles away from them. They won't get that push notification. They're not interested in taking your track anyway. You're too far away. So why even bother them? So it makes it um, efficient in that way that it's only going out to the trackers that are interested in tracking uh, your animal and interested in driving that far. And so that uh, it kind of eliminates people that are not going to be interested anyway.
2: Man, I got to bring up something, Shane, that you said a minute ago that's so true. And it's about going on a facebook group and you're like i shot a buck i need a tracking dog on so-and-so wma like man whenever i see a post like that me and everybody else that facebook group is hitting turn on notifications for this post because like people are (laughs) e-scouting i and i and hey being a group admin and i could see what that post reach does on some of these groups i'm like I don't think that you would just go out and tell 5,000 people where you are, but it might get 20 likes, but 5,000 people actually saw it, and it, you can't see that because you're just a member of the group. But, like, man, if people knew how many people were actually yeah. seeing those posts, dude, every time I see that, I'm saying, turn on notifications for this post because I want to see, you know? So, yeah, yeah. That, that that is honestly, like, a pretty big a pretty big deal, you know, like, uh, keeping it anonymous.
0: I'll give you another example. We've got some... Guys who have been on the podcast, good friend of ours, who kill some huge deer down here in the southeast, specifically Alabama. And a couple of them have had deer trackers on, uh, like tracking some deer. And and I know one of them never got a tracker because he didn't want to bring, he didn't want to put it out there about like where he was at. Mm -hmm. And he kind of wanted somebody close to him that, you know, if he was going to have somebody track someone he had a personal relationship with. But he didn't want to put anything on social media for the aspect of he didn't want other people knowing where he was at. Uh, and, or even like just a region of the state because people knew it's public. So this gives, like you said, that uh, uh, anonymous kind of perspective of being able to put the notification out and only those handful of trackers in that area are going to see it. Uh, does, let me ask do the, do the trackers automatically just see your name and information as well? Or is it just information on the deer and then contact info? What, what, what are the uh, trackers? We see
1: We see. Yeah, we see your name and your phone number, and you can just, you know, you don't even have to type in the phone number. You just click on it, and it, it automatically calls them straight from the app. Um, we don't, you know, we thought about making it just a first name and, you know, stuff like that. But like I said, trackers, for the most part, we're not concerned about where you're hunting. So we, yeah. we want to find your deer. You know, we're not, we're not out there to find your hunting spot. And, um, and they're, you know, that's... That's basically what they see: the name, the location, your phone number, and then the details in the tracker request.
0: But, but again, just like an example: like say you shoot, you know, uh, you know, a guy down here in Alabama shoots a, that 160, 170-inch deer. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. Needs a tracker. This is a great opportunity to be able to use this app without having to go on social media, without having to ask people about, hey, I, do you know any trackers? And it's just between you and that tracker, you and those that handful of trackers that's in the area, and you get selected. You're going to work with which I think is huge. And again if you decide not to put it on social media and you tell them hey I don't want you to take photos of the deer or whatever, well, like that's again between you and them cuz you know some trackers might want a photo of you and the deer and something they'll put on social media. I've had one guy, I had track with him, I'm like I don't want you to put anything on this deer um just for the reason i just don't want my face out there with it um so it, it's it's one of those things that like you can kind of keep it anonymous if you want to you know with this which is really nice again keeps you that option of like you know if you don't want to be known about again where you had it shot or whatever you know it's, it's a really good thing especially shane i'm not gonna get too sidetracked here but have you seen what's happening i know you're an android user so you don't have to worry about this but iphone users there's something that can be done about people can save your phone. Save. I, actually, I'm. Not, I i do not know if I want to talk about this on the podcast. <laughs> actually, I'm not gonna talk about. it. Never mind, Andrew, cut that out. Um, anyways, <laughs> I'll tell you after yeah, Shane. I
1: I do have something to add, and I think I know what you're getting with about what can we see as far as name and stuff. The the hunter can doesn't have to use their real name. Uh, when you know you can say I'm Joe Smith, you know, and I need a tracker, and here's my number. And you don't have to put a profile picture. You can you can set up your account fully when you create a hunter account. You can put a profile picture. You can create all your weapons in your toolbox. Now that'll speed things up if you do need a tracker. If you go ahead and pre-fill out your toolbox, like I have a, a Matthews bow with this draw weight and this arrow set up and this broadhead. And then when you get to the tracking request form, there's an option to 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 select a preloaded weapon. Or you can just say I, I'm shot it with a bow. You don't have to use it but you can give us a lot more details um and you can just put joe smith as long as once once you get in touch with a tracker you give them your real name and you know and cut the anonymous out after that yeah um but if you're worried about it going to 10 trackers in your area and some of them may be big buck hunters too then uh you may not want to do that
0: yeah but again that's a really good aspect about this so also so let's talk a little bit about from a uh, um the the tracker aspect of this uh so push notification goes out to all these trackers that's in this general area based off you know how they set up their max range that they're willing to go track you know the trackers are interested they'll they'll click on it um you know saying that they're interested willing to be able to go to the track and then the hunter has the opportunity to be able to kind of look through the profiles and figure out which one do they actually want to work with and coordinate with at that point once that hunter selected which tracker they want to go with does it send a notification directly to that tracker saying hey you've been chosen and to contact them, or how does yep. that kind of work after they've selected, the hunter selected who they want to track with?
1: So we don't really have any ins- instructions on how that process works. It's up to the tracker and the hunter to, to kind of figure that out. I mean, not figure it out, but so the the tracker, the trackers in our test group wanted to be able to see the hunter's phone number. We didn't want to be restricted from that. And so we could, you know, before we commit to a track, maybe we want to get a couple extra details that they didn't get in the tracking request. And so a tracker may, if a tracker offers to take the track, they pretty much decided they don't, you know, they have hit the button. They pretty much don't need a phone call right away. And you can, it, it, once the hunter accepts that tracker, the, the tracker gets a notification saying, Hey, you've been accepted for this track. The other trackers, the request just disappears for them. You know, uh, basically that's their way of letting them know that the tracker, the hunters pick someone else. Um, but you know, and then, or the the tracker could call the hunter first and say, Hey, I'm available, but I need some more details before I commit. Okay. Okay. It sounds good. I'll commit. They commit. And then the hunter accepts them. So there's, there's buttons and notifications going back and forth and, and then they, they can communicate. Now the hunter doesn't see the tracker's phone number until, um, the tracker either calls them directly or agrees to take the track. And I'll tell you why that is, uh, this app was terribly expensive to build and it's expensive to maintain. And we're trying to eliminate the need for any fees, but from the initial onset, there's a $10 finders fee. So once you get your tracker and you accept that tracker at that point, you pay a $10 finders fee, and then you can pay your tracker whatever. Um, we anticipate that fee just going away completely at some point, maybe later this year. As we build other features that um, will have su- subscription base in order to generate revenue, but we're trying to get out of the way of the hunter tracker communication a- aspect. For now, though, we got to charge something or or we'll go bankrupt. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, that that's a really good question. So that was one thing I was going to ask. Is first off, you know, how much does it cost to get this app on their phone? I know by the time we're doing this episode, it's already out on Google Play. So all Android users can use it. Apple people like me and Andrew. Um, it should be out relatively soon by the time this episode comes out. So kind of pay attention on, on uh, iTunes and uh, Apple uh, apps or whatever the app store. Yep. Um, but is was there any and, kind and the,
2: of, the website is already live, isn't it? Yes. Okay. We'll link the website. See.
0: Yeah. So the tracker apps, T R A K R. And then with the app, if someone goes to download this app uh, on their phone, as say, whether we're going to talk about from a hunter perspective and also a tracker perspective, What kind of upfront cost is it for them to download the app?
1: It's zero cost to download the app, create a profile, use the app. It's even free to submit a tracking request. It's not until the point that trackers offer to take your track and you pick the tracker and you say, I want this tracker. That's when you finally pay once you have a tracker confirmed to take your track. So you could submit a track and there's no trackers available. It doesn't cost you a dime. And so... That's one way we're we're trying to minimize cost to the hunter and the tracker. Like I said, get out of their, get out of way, get out of their pocket. But the the tracker never pays anything, um, so it's going to make it very efficient for for us to, you know, handle tracks, especially during the rut and during gun seasons when we get a lot of calls.
0: So let let, let me ask you about this because now I think about I do know a few listeners who listen to the podcast that are trackers. How does it, if a tracker wants to get involved and be on the app, what do they have to go through in order to be added to the actual app itself?
1: So um, we are partnered with United Blood Trackers. And so we're the official app of the United Blood Trackers. And so immediately, if you're one of the members of the UBT and you're, you know, whatever your certification is, when the request. Uh, when you create a profile, I'll get notifications of all the profiles. I'll I'll com- uh, compare it to my list from the UBT. If you're on it, I'll approve you. Um, and if you're UBT tested and certain member that's you know got your certification, you get a UBT verified badge. So it shows that this person uh, is a member of the UBT and they passed the test. So they're not lying about that. I'm also working with a lot of the state groups. Um, I've talked to a few of them they're waiting for this to go live so they can um, message all their members they've already vetted their trackers like in the minnesota tracking dog group we've already vetted trackers so even trackers that don't have ubt certification we've seen them we know them they um we've seen their you know their results we would you know would not hesitate to to uh recommend them as a tracker for someone so those will get approved based on the leaders of that state group what they say yay or nay um so that's where we start and go to the state groups and then it's a case-by-case basis after that if you're just some random uh tracker out there that doesn't have a social media presence or you're not a a, you know list on the ubt site or or the list i get from them then expect a call from me to talk to you personally and and i'll vet you that way you got to show some proof that you're an actual tracker we're trying to keep there's some dirty people out there and there's some scammers that'll, that'll try to create a profile in here and, and scam people out of money and they don't have an actual tracking dog. Um, but you, as a tracker, you don't get, to, you can sign up, but you don't get to use the app until I approve it on my end. So don't even waste your time trying to create a tracker account if you're not a tracker because you won't get in.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Well, that's good that there's that kind of vetting process taking place. Um and everything kind of put in place there. Uh Shane, what else about the app is worth mentioning right now? Now you said you're gonna have some updates coming up later this fall that's gonna be kind of interesting as well. I don't know if, probably don't want to talk about that quite yet, but maybe we'll try to get you back on when some of those updates come out. But is there anything else that, you know, listeners and viewers should be aware of when it comes to the app and uh any of the things to kind of look forward to?
1: Yeah, the the analytics part we can talk about. That's uh, something that's being built and that hopefully will be available, let's say in late October or or maybe sooner or maybe a little bit later. Depends on how um, difficult that is to build. It certainly is not as difficult to build as it did to take the whole app. But basically, all the tracking requests that come in, we're not collecting any personal information. Like uh, there's no name going to be saved with it associated with it. It'll be like track number two thousand forty eight. You know and all the information with it you know what the animal was shot the if you fill out your toolbox the weapon the draw weight all that data is going to be it's in our database and so the public will be able to filter through it and see you know the statistics like i post on social media every year to our tracking from our tracking group like the number of pass-throughs for t- particular types of broadheads well this will be very uh much more in depth you'll be able to select, for example, I, I mentioned this to a couple people. If I just want to see the tracks that were taken in Minnesota, I can filter the data to show me deer tracks in Minnesota, and I can filter it down to just archery hunts, no gun hunts, uh, by a particular broadhead, arrow weight, draw weight. You know, I can get down to the nitty gritty and just say, show me the deer, the pass throughs for those deer, or show me, cause maybe I'm trying to figure out the best broadhead I want to buy. Or maybe uh, show me deer that were hitting this area of the body. How far do they run on average? Or a deer shot in September versus a deer shot in November. I mean, you could get into some deep stuff with this, just spending hours, you know, going through the data. So that's the feature that's going to have a subscri- subscription base with it when we get it out there, like three ninety nine a month. And then we'll get rid of that tracking request fee. And um, so that's where way it's going to go, hopefully.
0: I'm interested oh, in that. Oh, that's awesome. That's what I'm interested in.
1: You're
2: going to get three ninety nine a month from me, yeah. let me tell you. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> that sounds like, awesome.
0: After a year or maybe two years of that data being pulled, I want to do Ooh. a full-blown – I'm sure you're going to have other requests. Is, I want a full-blown podcast with you and Garrett on that. I want to I get yep. in the nitty-gritty because that is fascinating. Yeah, that's uh, cool. That, that's going to be super interesting. What an
2: awesome data source. I mean, there's yeah. nothing else like that anywhere that I'm aware of. That's going to be definitely one of yep. a kind.
1: Yeah, there's nothing but styrofoam and gel ballistics gel out there right now that people are shooting into. But yeah, you mentioned Garrett, you should probably mention that, you know, the the owners of this, yeah. the people involved. And that's myself, Garrett Prawl, DIY sportsman. Um Ryan Carpenter, who I met actually on a he heard me on a podcast and then emailed me, and he actually lives not far from me. and we we've been friends for a few years now. He's been working on my data each year. Um, so he's one of our partners and then Greg Goffrey, Greg Goffrey from tech, uh, tethered. And I I've known Greg for a few years. And, and so, I, uh, you know, when I was starting down this road, this app, I was looking for investors and friends, you know, friend investors actually, you know, and, um, smart people. And so we got at least two smart people. Me and Greg may not be so smart, but, um, <laughs> We're there for moral support, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. No, that, that's awesome. I, I'm beyond excited. I mean, this is definitely an app. Like, you, you shouldn't – like I'm definitely going to have this on my phone. The second, second it comes on Apple uh, – for Apple products, I'm going to have it. But it's an app that if you are a hunter, I don't care if you're brand new or you're a veteran, like, you should have this on your phone because, first off, you never know when you need this service. You never know. Like, you hear guys all the time, like, I've never had an issue finding deer, you know, bow hunting, all that kind of stuff. That's perfectly fine. At some point, something's going to happen with your bow hunting or gun hunting where you're going to need a service like this, and having something like this already on your phone, already set up, it's going to be a huge help for you, and a huge help not only to you know get these trackers involved, but just getting everything put together. So um, I think this is an awesome service, and, and Shane, I'm very excited. to kind of see how this plays out for you guys and, and see some of the updates and everything else with the analytics and, and all that kind of stuff because, again, this is something that everybody should have. You should be prepared for it. Even if you think you're, you think you're not going to need it, have it on your phone. Have it filled out so when that time does come, it's a lot easier transition to get someone that's actually skilled to come out there and actually help you find that deer.
1: Yeah, and go ahead and get it downloaded on your phone because we may do something for for the people. Even if you can't do much with the app right now, we may do some type of discount for the you know the first users that you know download it. You know, like um, as far as our test group, we you know we're doing giving them some incentives for testing it for us. <laughs> so. Don't just shrug it off. I know that there's not much for the hunter to do, but like you said, have it already on your phone. So if you don't have cell service, you're able to still use it, but you got to already have it downloaded and uh, logged in. And you don't have to totally use the app. I mean, you can use the app to submit a request, but you can also do it the old way too. So this is not uh, a way to replace, um, you know, the social media presence of some of these tracking groups and trackers but it, I think it'll greatly assist them in uh, uh, the hunters and the trackers alike uh, in getting connected.
0: Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Andrew, you got anything else? That's all I got. Well, Shane, listen, dude, we appreciate you coming on the podcast and giving us a a, a really good highlight of this service with Tracker and the Tracker app. Uh, again, guys, you can go find it right now on Google Play. And, again, should be out anytime or very, very soon for Apple products as well. Uh, again, this is the Tracker app. That's T R A K R. Uh, on all these services. So make sure you have it downloaded and changed. Appreciate you joining us for this week's episode of the podcast. Yeah,
1: man, thanks for having me on. You guys have a good one. Me
0: too.
2: you guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years. And it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that, that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you. Whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. And guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after-hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now, we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.